Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Tonight, we're going to be sharing the word. The title of my message, the first title, is uh, More Than the Moment. Okay? Uh, Life is more than the moment. Whatever the moment may be, whatever the moment you may be facing, whatever season, situation of life you may be facing, believe me when I tell you that when you walk with Christ, when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, life is and victory is and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, we are more than the moment. Okay? Uh, the second uh, and, and the subtitle to my message tonight is An Owl, Some Poems, and a Picture. Okay? <laughs> An Owl, Some Poems, and a Picture. We'll get to that in, in, a, in, in a moment. <laughs> You're saying, what in the world? Where are we going with this? Well, you'll see. You know, I don't know how many of you have had the chance to visit San Antonio, Texas, and made your pilgrimage to the Alamo. Okay? Uh, but you know, if you have not yet, then of course you will. Uh, but if you have, I encourage you to try it again sometime. And if you happen to go to the Alamo, I want you to keep your eyes open for three special things. Okay. Number one is an owl. Number two, some poems. And number three, you guessed it, and a picture. Keep your eyes open for these three special things. Uh, uh, The picture, by the way, is a portrait of a man whose name is Makaija Autry. He was one of the defenders of the Alamo, and to his credit, he carved that wooden owl that you will find there, and he also wrote the poems that you will find there uh, in, uh, in the uh, museum part of the Alamo. Makaija, interesting name, huh? Makaija was born in North Carolina in 1793. Uh, but after the War of 1812, which he went to the War of 1812 about 17 or 18 years old, and then he stayed from 1812 in the army until 1815. And then at 1815, he went back home. And later, subsequent to that, he had to leave farming because of uh, some physical uh, concerns in his life. And he decided that he would relocate to Tennessee and he would become an attorney. So uh, he did. He left farm, farming to practice law, and he became acquainted with some very important people in our history. He became acquainted with Sam Houston, because many people do not realize that Sam Houston holds uh, an important record, a historical record. Do you know that he was not, he, he, in fact, he's the only person the only, who is the governor of two different states, He was the governor of Tennessee. He was the sixth governor of Tennessee, the seventh governor of Texas. But Sam Houston was also a senator, a congressman for both. He was, you know, he was quite an interesting individual. He was was the president of the Republic of Texas, you know, uh, the first and the third president that we had as as, as a Republican. Well, at any rate, he got to know Sam Houston, and he supported him in his you know, bid for governor of Tennessee. He also uh, knew Andrew Jackson, who, you know, uh, was, was, you know, president of the United States. 
He also knew a man named Davy Crockett, who was a senator. Okay? He, was, you know, uh, he knew these people, supported them, and uh, it seems that Davy Crockett ended up influencing Makaja Autry to come to Texas and to help the people in Texas win their freedom and independence from the Mexican government uh, under General Santa Anna, who was basically, you know, a, a self-crowned monarch, uncrowned monarch, uh, kind of, you know, uh, uh, he was kind of running things militaristically, uh, you know, uh, with, with, with what, what he wanted in Mexico, and this, uh, and Texas uh, was a part of that. But um, at any rate, uh, on his journey to Texas, he stopped and camped out in uh, Natchitoches, Louisiana. And in Natchitoches, on December the 13th in 1835, he wrote a letter back to his wife in Tennessee. And you can see some of these letters as well at the Alamo, but let me give you an excerpt from the letter that he wrote, 1835, December the 13th. He's headed toward Texas going to Washington on the Brazos. That's where the government of Texas was. And then from there to the Alamo. And so he writes several letters along the way. But one of them he writes, listen to what he said. Uh, About 20 men from Tennessee formed our squad. The war in Texas is still going on favorably to the Texans. But it is thought that Santa Ana will make a descent with his whole force in the spring. We have between 400 and 500 miles to foot to the seat of government. He still had to walk four to 500 miles. Why? For we cannot find horses. (laughs) Wow. But we have sworn allegiance to each other and we will get along somehow. Man, talk about made of metal. My. Well, on March the 6th, 1836, most of you remember that date in history. It's the date that the Alamo fell. Well, Makaja Autry gave his life at the Alamo fighting for the freedoms that we now enjoy and freedoms that we must continue to protect. And uh, he was under the command of Colonel William B. Travis. Y'all remember Travis? Did you know that Travis was only 26 years old at that time? Isn't that amazing? This young American patriot, 26 years old, a defender of the American dream, leading those at the Alamo. Wow. Can you remember what you were doing at 26? I was not in the place to be leading a group of people in the Alamo. (laughs) Uh, Why is Makaja Autry, why is he important to me and the things that he did, accomplished, and the... uh, memorabilia that we have left well it's because he is uh my cousin you know uh a little farther back but uh my great-grandmother's cousin and uh his daughter mary autry greer which you can find in history books and even over here at a cemetery in beaumont his daughter later moved after the fall of the Alamo and after the Republic of Texas was established. She moved here to Beaumont. She raised five sons, all of which were attorneys and judges in our area and politicians here in Beaumont. And uh, my, my grandmother was an Autry, and, and I am really proud to have a stake in Texas. When I was a schoolboy, I remember hearing the battle cry. Remember the Alamo. Y'all remember that? (laughs) 
And when I would play with kids, we'd play these games, you know, many times, you know, as we, we, we played fighting games, you know, whether it was swords or spears or, you know, uh, whatever we may have at our disposal. I won't go further into that because children may be watching. And, uh, but whatever we had at our disposal, we would, and, and oftentimes you could hear that, you know, we'd, we'd, when we start running toward the other group, you know, uh, with apples or whatever we might be throwing, you know, remember the Alamo, remember the Alamo. And, you know, and they'd be saying the same thing on the other side. Interesting, huh? Running at one another. Well, later in life, I questioned that battle cry, remember the Alamo. Uh, you know, wait, wait, didn't we lose that one? This was my question. Wait, that was a loss in our column. Remember the Alamo. I mean, this, remember the Alamo, you know, uh, uh, re- Recreta el Alamo could have been the, the battle cry of Santa Ana and the Mexican group, right? Sure. The inspiration that we need in life to press toward the next battle or to win the victory yet ahead may come at a very high price, as did the Alamo. Take, for example, the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor. The inspiration, the motivation that came along with that moment and that memory. You see, victory cannot be measured by the moment. Victory has its turn, has its time. And with God's hand on our lives, every step we take is a step towards victory. We may not can see it, we may not realize it, but it's true nonetheless. Such was the case of the cross of Jesus Christ. It must have seemed like a total defeat to the followers of Jesus that day in Jerusalem whenever he was nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up above the earth, and there he died. I imagine they never expected to recover from his death or to recover from their loss or disappointments. Hope for those disciples and those who followed Christ must have seemed so far away, so foreign to their consideration. Hope must have seemed lost and beyond the reach of mortal man, and indeed it was, as real hope always is. There are some victories that only God can reveal, and he reveals those victories in his good time. The Bible calls that due season, so that we have need of patience, so that we have need of faith, so that we have need of trust in things that we cannot see, to receive the things that God has already seen. Whether it deals with some situation in our personal life, some situation or circumstance with our family, or whether it is on a national level, or even something that a generation goes through. We nonetheless, those of us who have pledged our lives to Jesus Christ and have been given an opportunity to participate in His plan, 
we must realize, as I said before, that every step we take with God is a step towards victory. And victory cannot be measured or limited by any moment or any season of life. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the most disappointing event ever in the lives of those who followed him. It was still fresh on their minds that Resurrection Sunday. It seems that the disciples were depressed. That would be my diagnosis. They were locked in a room for fear. They didn't know what to think. They imagined that all hope was gone. And as I said, it was still fresh in their minds that Resurrection Sunday morning, whenever Mary came back from the tomb and, and told the 11 that she had seen Jesus alive, you know, they just didn't believe it. They just refused to be. It was unimaginable. It was unbelievable to them. Nothing was going to get them out of their depression, their worry, their fear, their disappointment. Have you ever been a place in life like that? To where you wrestle and struggle with disappointment? To where you are, are expecting one thing and it does not happen and what you're left with leaves you no hope at all? And you find yourself empty and wondering how this happened and how can this be? And what in the world did I do wrong? Did others do wrong? What in the world can we do to make this go away or that it, you know, wishing that it never happened, but yet you wake up day after day stuck with the reality? That's how they must have felt. The Gospels record Jesus appearing to his disciples later that Sunday morning. And he upbraided them for their unbelief, for their refusal to believe the testimonies of those that he had sent, and for them already so quickly having, having hardened their hearts to hope. What did they imagine they would do? Did they imagine they would live the rest of their life just riding this out and live forever in disappointment, forever in grief, forever in worry and fear, forever in frustration, afraid that they too were going to meet this same end? What did they imagine? Well, Jesus not only appeared to his disciples later that morning, but in the evening time, he appeared to two more of his followers. Let's pick up this story in Luke chapter 24. In Luke 24, in verse 13, this is happening in the evening of the first day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? Later in the day on a Sunday. Now behold, verse 13 says, two of them who were followers of Jesus, they were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? This lets us know that they had not been with the eleven 
when Jesus appeared or they would not have been sad. That they had not believed the report earlier given to them because if they had have believed it, they would not have been sad. Do you know at times, as I pause for a moment, when things may not look like you wanted them to look, God will send testimony to you. He will send encouragement to you and encourage you to get out of your hopelessness and back into faith. I may even be one of those messengers tonight. Maybe I'm like Mary or perhaps, you know, uh, you know uh, that, that messenger is saying, listen. All hope in your situation in your life, in, in, in the middle of your moment or whatever season you may be in. Listen, all hope is not lost. Why? Let me tell you if you've not heard, Jesus is alive. He is alive. Well, let's continue. You know, what, what are you talking about, you know, uh, uh, as you're walking along together? And why are you sad? Verse 18, then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Basically, the stranger saying, well, why aren't you sad too? You must not know what we know. You must not be listening to the news we're listening to. Oh, that was a low blow, wasn't it? If you knew what we knew, you know, I mean, have, have you not had the TV on? How is it? Are you like, are you the only person in Jerusalem? Are you the only person who has not heard of what trouble we have in or what, what concerns there are or how terrible? Have you not heard how horrible things are today? Have you not, are you not aware of what's been going on? Come on, get over here in the sad boat with me. Oh, this is good preaching. <laughs> Dean, I thought about saving this for Sunday, but I just don't save well. Fresh bread should be eaten on the day that you bake it. Okay, you get the picture? You know, and... Jesus said, <laughs> what things? Isn't that great? I love that. What things? What do you, I mean, what are you talking about? I should be sad. What, what do you mean? What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping. We're no longer hoping that. Interesting, huh? Isn't it interesting what a little bit of trouble can do to some people? A little bit of disappointment, a little bit of, you know, boy, zip, there goes the faith, there goes the hope. Here comes the sadness. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. I mean, it's been going on a while, okay? Yes. And certain women from our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. So evidently, they were there when the women came to tell them Jesus was alive and they didn't believe her. This was not the first time they've heard this today. How many times do you have to hear it before you put a smile on your face, joy in your heart, a little step, a little faith, a little hope, a little joy? 
Come on, he's alive. Woo, glory, this is good stuff. <laughs> they astonished us. Verse 23, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Sure. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. But him they did not see. Verse 25, then Jesus said to these followers, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. We'll stop right there for the reading. Uh, why? Because uh, I think it's a good place to realize that Today, Jesus may be in heaven looking down and saying, Oh, silly people. Whatever you're facing, a situation in your life, whatever you're facing with your finances, with your family, whatever situation you may be facing you know, uh, in school, or what, uh, in, in your heart, in your mind, listen, God has given us his word on things and we can trust him for the things that we need. He's given us his word on things already provided for us through the cross of Calvary. And I promise you, if God is worried about something, I don't need to be. Number two, if he's not worried about it, I sure don't need to be. He can take care of things. The followers of Jesus saw what happened to him at the cross as a defeat. But Jesus didn't see it that way. All of heaven's witnesses, God did not see it that way. They saw it as a victory. One step in this journey towards full and complete victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Do you remember whenever, if you've read this Old Testament account in Genesis, where, where uh, the sons of Jacob... Ten of them sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Joseph would later say, It was not you who sent me here, but it was God. Don't be upset at yourselves because God had a plan and I was just a part of his plan. God took care of me. Yes, it took me through a place I didn't want to go, but every step was designed by God that led us to this victory to preserve a people the greater plan of God. You remember the ten spies that returned, ten of the twelve uh, returned to Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, 14. They, they gave a bad report and they said, we can't do this. Two of the spies said, we can. Well, both of them were right. <laughs> Ooh, wouldn't that be horrible? Numbers 14, 28. As you have spoken in my ear, so shall I do unto you, the Lord said. I would want to be on the side that said, I can. All it took was a little time, but in the unfolding plan of God, as God makes all things beautiful in his time, in its appropriate time. The message of the cross is a message of hope and redemption. It's not a message of defeat. It's a message of victory. 
It's a message of redemption. It's a message of hope. Jesus paid the price for our souls to be redeemed from sin. It's a message of redemption. But not only that, the cross also shines a great light on the everyday message that no event from the past, no event from the present, and no future event can ever erode the unfolding plan that God has already put in place and he has invited me to participate and to play my faith-filled part. And he's, he's designed that. He is hoping that I play my part full of hope not full of worry and doubt and fear God has put into place everything needed to deliver his children on a daily basis from the power of darkness wow no power no enemy can defeat a person filled with the presence and the purpose of God every step with God is a step towards victory King David proclaimed this truth whenever he wrote in Psalms 42.5 and 42.11 and 43.5. They all say the same thing. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why am I so depressed? And he encouraged himself, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. He is my Savior. He is God. That's what he wrote. Our main text, as I, and, and, and I'll be closing with some main text. Two, two scriptures I want to read, written by the Apostle Paul, who also was very familiar with disappointment, but never was disappointed to the point to where he let disappointment rule his life. He, like King David and Joseph and Joshua, understood that uh, they understood disappointment, yet they remained victorious with every step, wherever they were stepping to, whatever they were stepping into or walking through. They did it with a confidence that comes when you know that you are partnered with Jesus Christ. The one verse that we'll read from the Apostle Paul is in 1 Corinthians 1.18. Listen to what he said. For the message of the cross... It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, two people can look at the same event, and one of them see it a victory, and the other one see it a defeat. One of them can see it foolishness. Many people imagine that, that a Christian's belief and trust in Jesus Christ, in the invisible, in the things that have not happened, many people cannot imagine why in the world you would be happy in the situation you're in. And you may not be happy with the situation, but you can have joy in the situation and get victory over the situation. But many times what we need is victory in the situation before we see victory over the situation. The cross of Jesus Christ, two perspectives. One group sees it as a victory for the devil and foolishness for anyone to trust the one who was so easily captured, had nothing to say in his defense, was summarily judged and put to death. They imagine it's foolish to believe in him. But for those of us 
who are being saved, those who are being renewed day by day, who are being encouraged and uplifted by the Spirit of God, those of us who are receiving words from God as the golden sound of truth in our own hearts and minds, as we know the encouragement that comes from having heard a word from God, it is the power of God to save us. Save us from what? Well, you know, sin, sickness, hell, death, but also from our own disappointments. Remember the Alamo. <laughs> Remember the Alamo to a Texan is no sign of discouragement or defeat. We don't say it going, oh, well, remember the Alamo. <laughs> right? Oh, gosh. Oh, remember the cross. You know, Jesus didn't make it, neither will we. You know, you know they cut John the Baptist's head off. It's, been, it's happened to better people than you, you know. We don't say it like that. Listen, as a Texan, I am not ashamed of those who stood their ground, of those who didn't back down, of those who gave their all for what they believed. I don't think they're losers. I don't think that, you know, uh, I don't think defeat or discouragement is connected to that. In fact, the enemies of Texas, I'll just say this because I'm a Texan, and those of you out there listening, you know, if you're not here yet, come on, okay? But don't mess with Texas. Don't change us, okay? Come be a part of us. Don't try to change us, okay? Because in Texas, you know, if one of our enemies happens to hear, come and get it, they should fear and tremble. <laughs> yeah, we'll be having flags up on that one. The men who died at the Alamo had but one regret. I'll speak for them as family. They had but one regret. It's the same regret that is credited to a 21-year-old American patriot named Nathan Hale. On September the 22nd, 1776, just before he was hanged by the British for insurrection, here's what he said. I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Do you know, that's pretty much what the Apostle Paul would have said. You know, when they cut his head off, I can imagine, although he wanted to be in heaven and be with Jesus, I can imagine him having that quick thought, can't you? I can easily imagine. He thought, man, I'd like to do that all over again. <laughs> you know, whew, come on. Let me. Let me live the life. Let me walk the walk. Be there for those who need me. These are not foolish words or foolish sentiments. Those who say and mean such things look far beyond the moment that they are in. And they in no way see their moment as defeat. They see themselves on a journey on a journey to victory. If anything, in that moment, many times we are encouraged. It propels others, even around us, to achieve great things when people see our faith. The cross of Christ is foolishness to some, but to us it's the power of God. I'll close with Galatians six fourteen. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Tonight, what I am sharing is not some political speech, but it should bleed over into every area of our lives, into our marriage, into our money, into the way that we process life on a daily basis, especially the process that goes on up here. Because we all in this life will face disappointment. And it's important that we remember that when we are personally disappointed, whenever we go through things that we feel are un, is unfair or challenging or that leave us in some moment of pain, disappointment, we should remember that we are pledged to Jesus Christ in every step that we take with God. And there's always something you can do to please Him. Always a next step with Jesus Christ. There is no rightful claim to greatness without the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no success without Him, come what may. The world has been crucified to us and we to the world. To live is Christ, as the Apostle Paul said, and to die is gain. Victory is more than the moment. So, stand your ground. Do not accept defeat. Jesus is Lord. Whatever hole you're in, you can pull out. Get a hold of yourself. Find out what Jesus wants you to do. It will be kind. It will be caring. It will be gentle. It will be loving. It will be forgiving. It will be filled with faith, filled with hope. And it will cause you to continue to live a life pleasing to Him, letting your light shine so that others might be encouraged by how you trust Him for things you have not yet seen. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.